Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting pro-animal laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Every opportunity we have to do a podcast, I'm privileged to be joined by Wayne Paselli and Marty Irby. Uh, Wayne is a author of best-selling books on animal welfare and a former president and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States. He has led efforts to pass more than 100 federal laws and amendments, 1,500 state laws, 30 ballot initiatives, and 500 corporate agreements. Mr. Irby is the Executive Director of Animal Wellness Action. He's worked in the United States House of Representatives for Congressman Ed Whitfield, serving as Communications Director and Animal Protection and Agriculture Policy Advisor. He is a former president of the Tennessee Walking Horse Breeders and Exhibitors Association, where he led the charge to bring an end to the painful practice of soaring walking horses. Irby is a Heritage Foundation Congressional Fellow former Director of Equine Protection and Rural Affairs at the Humane Society of the United States, and a native of South Alabama who grew up on a horse and cattle farm. Wayne, as I'm reading this, he gave me a new bio. He made it like twice as long as yours. <laughs> I could yeah. be Before, I mean, my gosh, it's like, holy cow. I mean, do I you, think do it's you, just a warm-up. That, that barely scratches the surface of her beast. <laughs> You know, yeah. experience and talent. Yeah, but I'm looking at the old one, and they were about the same size. But he literally right before I logged on to record this podcast, I get this new bio from from Marty. I mean, it's got a well, copy of his fifth grade essay in here. I'm supposed to read. I'm not doing that. I'm not reading your fifth well, for, grade essay on animals. Well, so, fortunately, uh, we're not all in the same. We're not in the same room. We couldn't fit his head in the in the room if we were together <laughs> with him. Yeah. Hold on. Let me get through the rest of this. There's more. I'm not done yet. Okay. So uh, he graduated from the University of South Alabama with a degree in communications, obviously, attended Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., and was named by The Hill as one of the nation's top, if not most concise, lobbyists for 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> I, I, I introduced George Bush once, and it wasn't that long. So, all right, Marty. Enough. Well, you know, times are different these days. <laughs> well, it just makes me all the more glad uh, that uh, you're here. So, especially because today we're going to be talking about a couple of subjects that maybe certainly were to me, as I evidenced during our, our pre-recording conversation, that are even arcane to me. So I would imagine that many people who don't spend a lot of time working with animal issues or who are new to thinking about them legislatively uh, and regulatorily and et cetera, it might be a little bit arcane to them. So so having, uh, you know, Wayne with his 200-word biography and you with your 1,000-word biography, we've got a lot of expertise right here, and we're going to go forward with that. So um, and the issues we're going to talk about, and I'll let uh, Wayne introduce one of them, and, and Marty, you can pick up the other, and we'll tie them around to our special guest today, whom I'll introduce in a moment, uh, are uh, the issue of checkoffs. Uh, when it comes to taking money from farmers, putting it into a pot, and using that money 
for interests and or activities rather that sometimes are contrary to some of the farmers who um, and others who who pay into this. And then, Margaret, you'll talk about the uh, opportunity for fairness uh, in farming uh, act as as that is certainly as a as a lobbyist and a legislative whiz you'll know a lot uh, about. So. Uh, that set up, uh, I do want to go ahead and get uh, uh, Mr. Mike Eby known to our listeners. Uh, so, Mike, thank you for being with us today. Uh, he is the chairman of the National Dairy Producers Organization, uh, resides in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, and after seven generations, uh, Eby made the difficult decision to sell the family's herd of 60 registered Holsteins, uh, but he and his family continue to remain on the 204-year-old farm, uh, raising corn, beans, wheat, beef cattle. Uh, Eby's also seen success in broadcast radio, promoting more humane and sustainable agriculture, and has been published in the Daily Caller, vocalizing the call for reform of the USDA's checkoff programs is currently one of the three candidates vying for president of the National Farmers uh, Union. So, Wayne, as I mentioned, let me turn it over to you to help our, un, our, our listeners understand the issue of checkoffs and um, let you carry the conversation forward with Mike on that. I'm really anxious to learn about it myself. Well, great, Joe. Thanks. And I'm delighted to be, to be on with Mike and, of course, with, with Marty as well. Let me just step back, of course, and, and mention that, you know, in the human experience, one of the most important junctures was the domestication of plants and animals. Everything changed um, in our in our human experience when we began to to raise plants, cultivate plants, and raise animals. And for thousands of years, we've done so. And in so many cases, um, animals were outside um, in environments that were suitable to them. Uh, there was an appropriate relationship between the animals and the and the farmers, the custodians, their keepers. The whole notion of animal husbandry is a notion that's grounded in terms of the vocabulary on care. And animals were used, uh, they were slaughtered, but in the run-up to slaughter, they didn't have to lead a miserable life. Uh, in the last 60 or 70 years, we've had a major turn in agriculture in the United States and in other industrialized countries, where we started to think of animals as things or commodities. And we began to put them in certain cases, especially with chickens, uh, broiler birds, laying hens, pigs, uh, in large warehouses, which are often referred to as factory farms. And this system has been the dominant mode of production uh, in the United States for the last 60 or 70 years, it's been incredibly successful as a protein production system, but it's come with many costs, costs to the animals in terms of their well-being, uh, public health costs in terms of the overuse of antibiotics, environmental costs because of the, the sheer number of animals in the waste, and then also costs for our rural communities as, as certain pressures to get big or get out have have really pushed so many hundreds of thousands of farmers off the land. I mean, we've seen in the last 40 or so, 50 years, uh, a 90% reduction in the number of pig farmers, uh, a 90% reduction in the number of dairy farmers, more than half of all cattle farmers have been lost, uh, even bigger percentages of, of uh, laying hen, uh, producers, egg farmers are gone. 
And you ask why I mention this. Well, I think it's really important to look at the overall trajectory of what's been happening in our society uh, when it comes to agriculture and the use of animals. And one of the ways that this system has moved in this direction is that the Congress, at the urging of major agribusiness operations, set up commodity checkoff programs. And these are essentially taxes on farmers. And now there are some commodity checkoff programs for um, plants, for, for fruits and vegetables, but they're, uh, they're limited compared to the animal agriculture uh, program. And essentially what a checkoff is, is a small tax uh, on a farmer for you know X number of pounds of pork or X number of pounds of milk. And it goes into a federal pot and it's supposed to go for marketing and commodity promotion. But in so many cases, it's also gone to support the trade associations that often lobby against animal welfare and often against the interests of family farmers. The aggregate of all of these major checkoff programs is in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And these programs obviate the need for the major trade associations to raise any money to conduct their lobbying activities and other political and policy programs. And it's just become an enormous subsidy for them. Meanwhile, those groups are, are lobbying against things like country of origin labeling uh, that helps American family farmers. There are a wide range of other programs that they support that many family farmers do not. So Animal Wellness Action is supporting reform in these checkoff programs because this, this whole program has kind of been hijacked by big agribusiness interests. Excellent. Uh, so Mike, talk about your experience with this and what is it that, that we can let our listeners know is being done about this, ought to be done about this? So as a dairy producer, as for farming for 17 years, if you look back and you actually count the amount of dollars that were taken off of the farmer's milk check, um, you know, I paid as a 60 cow dairy farmer upwards of $40,000. And, you know, it's, it's not chump change. <laughs> That's a, a, real, a real figure. Uh, many of the farmers look at those dollars and, and, they, and they feel, you know, if, if we're actually going to utilize these dollars for promotion of our product, that seems to be a good source uh, or a good way to generate um, excitement about the product, specifically milk for us. Um, you know, giving it away at parades or giving it away at events just to simply promote it or even billboards. You know, the, the traditional marketing has just simply been removed uh, in the last decade and has gone to other sources like um, Wayne had mentioned, to trade groups, to trade organizations that um, may not have the best interest of of the small family farm. Was this, uh, Mike, was this money used to, for example... Uh, create and uh, promulgate the got milk message is is was that created by checkoff money yeah so the got milk would have come from the milk processors portion uh, but what you when you look at the entire 800 million dollars of the checkoff um, amount of money that's collected that portion is within that 800 or 850 million so in essence it's all part of the same uh, marketing and um, so, but specifically that came from 
uh, the processor side of the equation. And I'm sure that there would have been some residual then too, some promotional efforts uh, coming specifically where utilizing the dairy farmer money as well. And, you know, actually, when you, when you see that, um, that was done back in the 90s, I believe. That was a campaign. Um, they actually, when I say they, the, the organization who's, who, who is um, conducting um, a method in which to utilize the funding today, they look back then and they say, well, you know, it was a great, uh, it, it won many awards, right? The Got Milk campaign or the slogan was, was, was um, very, very no- notable, except it didn't sell a gallon of milk. So it's almost like they are busting on their own marketing, claiming that it hadn't worked to then further justify the use and the way they're using it today. And they are spending the dollars to um, help fund other programs such as such as Wayne had suggested. Mike, let me, before we go further, I just want to make sure I'm following you. So you're saying there's an allegation. Uh, are you making it or are they making it that that got milk campaign didn't result in any more sales of milk? I would find that hard to believe having been in marketing. Uh, but is that your contention or theirs? That is theirs. And okay. I find it disturbing because um, a lot of money went towards that. And they are actually claiming that, um, well, basically, they're justifying as that's not the method in which we should be marketing. Traditional marketing does not work is what they claim. Okay. And from a dairy farmer standpoint, we're not seeing marketing. We're not seeing television ads. We're not seeing billboards. We're not seeing um, you know, competition to other products that are out there. Um, and dairy farmers are, are simply saying, wait a minute, where is all of our dollars going? I mean, I thought this is marketing dollars. I thought the purpose of this to be able to, you know, promote product. And so, yeah, so basically what I'm saying is they're claiming that past marketing was not successful. They're saying that the Got Milk slogan was, um, you know, catchy, but they claim that it didn't sell a gallon, a gallon or more milk. Seems ridiculous to me. I mean, let me let me ask this too. Then while we're while we're on that, could it be that some of the dollars that we're discussing uh, are being used to you know almond milk? And I know there have been some decisions recently or uh, attempts to create decisions regarding whether milk can be legally labeled to products that are cashew milk, etc. Uh, are those dollars caught up in this skirmish as well? So it's an interesting question because uh, legally they are not allowed to disparage any other commodity. Mm-hmm. So you will not see advertisements uh, utilizing those dollars uh, disparaging almond simply because USDA has oversight over those dollars and it's technically government speech. So um, so no, and in fact, there are some farmers that wish they could, but um, that is that is a law that uh, has been followed very closely. Okay, gotcha. All right, thanks. So, uh, Marty, let me turn it over uh, to you here, just to kind of piggyback on the checkoff issue. What is your take on what should happen? Right? How can farmers get into this issue and and make some some headway on their own interests? Well, I think most importantly, farmers and ranchers across the country, whether they be dairymen, beef producers, pork producers, or egg producers, can step up and support the opportunities for fairness in farming off act. Uh, the off act is a measure that was introduced in the U.S. Senate early last year by four unlikely allies, U.S. Senator Mike Lee, a Republican from Utah, 
U.S. Senator Cory Booker, uh, former candidate for president, liberal from New Jersey, U.S. Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, and U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's still in the race for president. So those four introduced the bill in the U.S. Senate. We had had it introduced in the previous two Congresses. Uh, last year, we made an attempt to get the measure attached to the Farm Bill and included. Uh, it did make it through as an amendment through the rules process. And ultimately, uh, due to some unforeseen circumstances, we had to pull the measure and it didn't get a vote in the House. But when we got over to the Senate, uh, it wasn't quite as socialized as we had wanted it to be. Um, it was one of three Farm Bill amendments that were allowed a vote and we lost by a narrow margin. So we came back in this Congress strong, really pushing to get a hearing for the legislation. And just last week, uh, U.S. Representative Dina Titus, a Democrat from Nevada, introduced the legislation identical to the Senate bill in the U.S. House. And what this bill basically does uh, is amends the authorizing checkoff bills to strengthen checkoff program prohibitions against engaging in government policy, lobbying, conflicts of interest, or anti-competitive activities that harm other commodities or consumers. It would also require that checkoff programs publish all budgets and disbursements of funds for the purposes of public inspection and to submit to periodic audits by the USDA Inspector General. So it's basically an effort to bring transparency and accountability to this corrupt system that exists. Farmers should have a right to know where their money is going, and the money shouldn't be utilized to lobby for policies uh, and things that put these farmers out of business. I know dairy farmers are going bankrupt at an all-time uh, high rate, and the suicide rate in dairy farming is just terrible. Uh, one example I would give when we're talking about the disparagement is that on the pork side of things, you might recall the slogan, pork the other white meat. And while that is a marketing campaign for that type of pork, there are other farmers who raise Berkshire or heritage type hogs that have more of like a gray meat. So if you've ever seen a gray pork chop, that probably came from a heritage hog. Uh, the white meat that comes from pork, the other white meat are hogs that have been bred to produce that type of product. So many of the hog farmers that are producing Berkshires and that gray type of meat have actually been put out of business by the fact that the pork checkoff was promoting pork, the other white meat, and that worked against their best interest. So as a competitive advantage uh wanted to bring that up as well well joe let me this is wayne if i if i can just play off that on the pork uh checkoff for for a quick moment so so the government with checkoff dollars from pig farmers developed pork the other white meat it was clearly developed by the government board promoting that commodity marty's identified you know, problems with the promotion in terms of favoring certain types of farmers over others. But there's another problem with that program is essentially, even though private trade, the private trade association, the National Pork Producers Council didn't use its money to promote it and the government did it, the government then essentially bought pork, the other white meat slogan after it had been in use for years and was basically done for. Because, you know, any marketing campaign needs to be refreshed every once in a while. It was, it was basically a, a dying slogan. And the, the government paid uh, in, in an arrangement $3 million a year to the National Pork Producers Council for use of that 
slogan for 20 years straight. So it was a $60 million deal between the government commodity promotion board set up under the statute creating the checkoff program and the private trade association that's a big agribusiness association. Now, why would the government use the money of, of rank and file farmers to do this commodity promotion program, develop this whole marketing campaign, execute it for years, and then say, oh, well, you can, you know, we actually need to buy it from, from you, and we're going to give you $3 million a year for 20 years. I mean, this funds the entire National Pork Producers Council operation. I mean, conceivably, it funds the operation. So that's a very specific abuse of the dollars where you just have too close a relationship between the government uh, entity that's supposed to run the commodity checkoff program and the trade association. I can tell you that NPPC has been a force, you know, for, for ill, for family farmers, for animals, and for the environment. As I mentioned before, you know, during the last 40 years, 90% of farmers um, uh, of pigs have gone out of business. I mean, something isn't right with their existing program, their efforts to keep farmers on the land, if you're having that rate of loss. And that's why so many farmers are complaining about this program, because it's not serving them. And the nation and the rural areas are hemorrhaging farmers. Thank you, Wayne, because you brought up something that I do want to make sure we get to. And that is, how are these dollars being used in ways that manifest to the harm or, well, I'll just put it that way. How do these dollars get put to use in ways that hurt animals? Well, let, let me just say one quick thing on that, um, Joe, which is, you know, if you have a lot of animals and you have very few farmers, you have very little custodianship and care. If you have just a handful of people watching over thousands or hundreds of thousands of animals, that is potentially an animal welfare problem. Farming is supposed to be an active enterprise where you're engaged in husbandry and care of animals. When you have farmers leaving the land and then you are left with these large industrialized farms where animal care is, is just a technocratic notion and it's not something that's actually executed on the ground, I think that's a, that is a, a big problem in terms of just basic care. We need more farmers, and I think we need fewer animals because then you actually have proper care of animals and you have people valuing farming more. That the trade of farming, the practice of farming, versus just turning animals into production units and then harvesting those production units, and and the American public, you know, has 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 no clue about what is happening on on these large scale farms. So I think that's one big issue. Marty, I'm sure we'll have something else to offer on that, but I think is kind of a macro level concern. That's one of the reasons why we're concerned about the checkoff pro program and how the trade associations are favoring the biggest farms and they're hurting small farmers all over the country. Yeah, before we go to Marty on that, Mike, let me turn back to you because you you had 60 uh, Holsteins on your farm. Uh, so I would imagine that's microscopic compared to some of the dairy enterprises. Uh, how did you witness and experience 
what Wayne was just describing as it led up to the decision to sell those cows. Yeah, I'm glad you asked because I was wanting to jump in to uh, follow up with Wayne because he makes a great point in the fact that these small family farmers that are going out of business are the ones that are dealing with these animals day in and day out. It's the children who feed the calves. It's the teenage boys who come from, you know, after school to help bed up pens. And those are the relationships that are, you know, animal to person. I mean, it's, it's personal, right? It's, it's small enough that actually animals have names. I had names for each one of my animals in the barn. I could tell them apart just by simply looking out my window as they're walking out into the meadow. And I could tell you which one was which name. Um, you know, so there's some personalities involved in that. And when you go to a large scale, it's impossible to have a name mean anything. In fact, they're simply just a number. And in some cases, they're just, you know, chips, they're ear chips, or they're, you know, they've got some kind of a chip under their skin, and, and the computer can tell, um, you know, what animal is which. And it's not to say that they're, you know, all large farms are bad. It's just the fact that you lose that personal connection. And when you lose that opportunity uh, to to see the animal, you know, as closely as what you do when you're milking uh, in a barn and, and you have 60 and you're paying extremely, you know, close care to those specific animals, you, it's impossible to miss a sore foot on a cow when you're dealing directly with her uh, twice a day. So, um, yes, all to say, these small farms specifically in Lancaster County, and, and there is some uniqueness to Lancaster County. Lancaster is the uh, the largest county of number of herds in the country. So, and that's much in part due to the fact of the number of Amish farms uh, that are surrounding me. I was uh, one of two non-Amish in Laycock Township in Pennsylvania. So that just shows you to the amount of farms that are specifically here uh, in Lancaster County. And um, we are still here. We are kind of like the, uh, uh, what do they call that, living in a bubble. <laughs> we are what the country used to look like. And we as a county want to remain viable. And um, as Wayne talks about these policies that are put in place that are to the detriment of the family farm, it's, it's very sad to see these farms go by the wayside. And um, due to the fact of milk not being worth what it costs to make simply because there's an overproduction, because there are too many cows, nobody seems to care that there's too many cows because everybody's making money except the farmer off the excess milk production. So, you know, when, when, our, when our dollars are not being used in the way we feel that uh, could be more beneficial, then you as a farmer start to realize that the system is working against you. So what farmers are simply doing at this point is calling out and questioning, how are these dollars being spent? If they can be brought to before Congress and Congress approves, um, you know, after hearings, then yes, okay, we're okay with that. But at this point, we believe this bill, this, this piece of legislation uh, through transparency, forcing accountability with all commodities to have uh, government oversight annually, then, um, yes, we believe that is a step in the right direction. Marty? Yeah, you know, going back to um, your initial question on how does this affect animal welfare, um, giving you an example that in our last episode, we just recently discussed the wild horse issue and the wild horses that are out on the range. And the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and big cattlemen's groups are involved in a plan 
that would eliminate 130,000 wild horses uh, off the range, some that aren't even born yet over a period of 10 years at potentially a cost of five point some odd billion dollars to the taxpayer. So the NCBA that's involved in that is an entity and an organization that is tied to the checkoff dollars through the beef checkoff. They're also tied to the state beef checkoff. And it's a huge, huge conflict of interest, at least in my opinion, uh, to see these dollars going that farmers are paying in and they're being utilized to lobby as you know, the law says that they can't for and against things like even this wild horse plan. So um, that's something that's just a direct example that's going on right now today that shouldn't be happening. And then further to that, and going back to what I said earlier about the farm bill and the amendment we had in the farm bill, when uh, we had the House amendment get through the rules committee last year, it extremely upset big ag. I mean, I think they were very surprised that it got through the rules committee and was actually going to get a vote. And so the big ag folks, uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association specifically, I know the Ohio Beef Organization and dozens more, started sending in emails to congressional staff and members from their organization lobbying against the amendment. Congressman Dave Bratt, who was a former representative that led the effort in the previous Congress from Virginia, actually said, hey, this is an exact example of what you shouldn't be doing and why we need this amendment. So he sent out a dear colleague to other members of Congress and said, the very emails that are in your inbox lobbying you today are what is illegal and what we're trying to stop with this amendment. So they're very bold about it. And, and I don't think they really try to hide it. But um, these are the type of things that directly impact animal welfare and getting back to that question. And it's a huge problem. I know We've seen instances in the past where some of these checkoff organizations and uh, their affiliates are also uh, lobbying against uh, new regulations that would improve the standards um, for dog breeders and uh, at puppy mills and uh, so many others like horse slaughter, the SAFE Act um, that they see as uh, either anti-business, um, which they're not, or either some sort of slippery slope argument, which is ridiculous. Um, but they're using these dollars, and it's it's an egregious abuse of them. Yeah, I just I just want to say that you know when you think about the political leaders introducing this bill, Marty mentioned the Off Act, the Opportunities for Fairness in Farming, with Rand Paul and Mike Lee, two very conservative members, Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Then you have you know myself and Mike E. B. on this call, and Marty. You know we come at this from different perspectives in some ways, but we land in the same place. And I think that's just really an interesting political phenomenon in this country. And whether you're an ardent animal advocate or you're an ardent advocate of, of keeping family farms on the land, I mean, we, we merge on this issue because, again, I think one of the great problems with American animal agriculture is that there's just less care of animals. There are fewer people on the land watching out for animals. I've, I've been to large egg facilities and broiler bird facilities and pig farms. And it's in some, in some cases, it's like there was an evacuation order for the people and no one's there. I mean, the animals are on their own. They're often in cages and crates. I mean, we've become so distant and separated from this and it's become so industrialized and automated that we've lost the human touch. 
you know, as Mike said, you know, he's there with the animals. And if there's some people who don't like the idea, uh, you know, that animals are raised for food, well, that's, I, I understand that view. But the alternative is to have these animals in a circumstance where no one's watching them, no one's caring for them. And I think that, you know, we have become an agricultural economy in a lot of ways. And I, for one, would much rather have more people watching out for animals than fewer. And the current system is accelerating the consolidation in agriculture and anti-competitive practices that are hurting family farms, reducing the number of agricultural jobs, and therefore reducing the care and custodianship of animals. Mike, what would you say then to the argument, well, more people taking care of the animals, things which sound awesome to me, but but of course the argument is, well, then prices will increase, fewer people will be able to consume. You know, Talk about, I guess, what I might call the Walmart effect on this. Yeah, another great question. And to those people, I would say, uh, until you can prove to me that all of our meat and dairy uh, and other commodities are coming from this country, um, that argument doesn't hold water, simply because <laughs> I believe we would be surprised if we were really to see the amount of meat that is brought into this country and consumers being none the wiser when they go to the grocery store. Um, you know, it may say product of the USA, but meat can simply be repackaged and resold and have that logo on it. So, you know, from the standpoint of of farmers feeling as if every which way they turn, they feel like they're up against because it's almost as if it's the odds are stacked against them. And, um, you know, just having the ability to be able to compete with your small family farm, you need the ability to be able to uh, label your products because here's the one thing we know for a fact, consumers want them. Like we are told that, that consumers would pay extra money if they knew that the proceeds or the, the extra that they're, they're paying for that product were to actually go back to the small family farmer uh, who was raising that product. So, you know, my, um, a couple of years ago, Politico did um, some investigative reporting on the dairy checkoffs and their failure to file certain reports that uh, were required under the law related to the dairy checkoff. And uh, we've seen a lot of abuses there. You as a dairy farmer, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that would have been uh, four years worth of reporting that was not filed. I believe I believe it was four years. Um, yeah, there is an example where, you know, these are hard earned dollars that farmers um, are generating. Um, I mean, call it what you want, call it a, a voluntary program, call it a tax. The re the fact of the the matter remains, though, it's it's money coming off of the farmer's milk check. Um, and if I can touch just quickly on the other side of that is it's not just dairy. When you're a dairy farmer, you're also paying into the beef program because every animal that you sell off the farm, uh, a dollar a head goes towards uh, the beef promotion. So you're getting hit twice, really, truly, as a dairy producer. But getting back to your point, um, Marty, and the fact that so at the very least, we expect accountability. We expect these dollars to be reported annually. And it's required by law that um, that the dairy portion of the checkoff is put in front of Congress annually. And it had not been for four years, uh, for the last four years of, uh, of Vilsack. 
as he was in as Secretary of Agriculture. Now, National Dairy Producers Organization, of which the organization I'm chairman, had put together a letter and sent it uh, to Politico and also brought the attention uh, in front of, of Sonny Perdue and asked that he, as his acting uh, position, be one of the first tasks that he does, and that is to um, initiate what basically Tom Vilsack had neglected to do for four years. Uh, so to say, you know, as Sonny Purdue had come in, we were we were thankful then that he had then made that decision, and he then did send that to Congress. So um, there's just an example, though, where these there needs to be more oversight. I think this is a perfect example um, that it has become too lax over the years. If you really think from an animal advocate's perspective and a family farmer's perspective, the way that agriculture is going is the wrong direction. We're losing farmers. We're putting animals in industrialized conditions. And that is not, neither of those is a good trend in our, in our country. And what's at the root of it are government subsidies and programs that are tipping the scales in favor of the factory farmers. And this commodity checkoff program is putting hundreds of millions into the coffers of trade associations, and it's taking hundreds of millions from family farmers. Uh, so I, I see it very clearly, and I think that this is one of these really interesting political campaigns where you have unlikely allies. But once we really take a big picture view, we see that our interests are coincident. And I'm, I'm really glad to be working with Mike um, and other family farmers who, you know, are the heart and soul of rural communities in America, uh, people who care about their farms, they care about their communities, they care about their families, uh, they are paying attention and caring for their animals. And, you know, animal advocates are fighting against the National Pork Producers Council, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association who are engaging in predator control and fighting, you know, efforts to limit antibiotic overuse and fighting off efforts to have any humane treatment standards for animals. You know, you don't need so many humane treatment standards for animals on a, on a family farm because so many of the animals are in pastures, right? They, they, animals built to move have an opportunity to move. It's on a lot of these factory farms that the animals are immobilized. What a strange circumstance. What a radical departure from what agriculture has been for centuries in this country and all over the world. So I see the OFF Act as a very important political step to start to turn things around in American animal agriculture. And I hope that our listeners contact their two senators and their representative. Uh, go to the animalwellnessaction.org site. I wrote a column about this on the political uh, animal the other day. And get involved in this campaign to pass this legislation. Marty, what's up with uh, the calendar and what's the timing here? Yeah, just three points I wanted to make before we close out that there's about 800 million total checkoff dollars um, that we see in all the checkoffs combined. 400 million of the 800 million goes to dairy. So that's half of it and all the others are the, the other half together. And secondly, you know, all of us that are here talking this podcast support checkoff reform. But what our listeners should know is that over 250,000 farmers in the United States support this same legislation that we support and are a part of our coalition in advancing this legislation through 80 different groups, including the National Farmers Union, uh, the Organization for Competitive Markets, 
and groups like the Heritage Foundation and the National Taxpayers Union. So this is a really broad group of people, organizations, farmers, animal advocates, and entities that are all working together. And I think it's a great, great example of how we can bring unlikely allies together to help animals. Michael, I'll give you uh, the opportunity to say what you have wanted to say or answer any questions that I've not asked. What do you want our listeners to go away with most as we wrap up the show? Well, I think um, it was said very well with both uh, Marty and Wayne here previously. Um, I guess the, the, the final thought that I would say would just be for those that are listening to um, this podcast, you know, those that are so far removed from agriculture um, it's difficult to understand, you know, how we've gotten to this point. But um, I think it's just, it's very important for them to understand that, you know, this has not just happened overnight. This has been in the works for some time. And, um, you know, obviously, with the, the beginning of the checkoff in 1983, I have to say that it, it started with great intentions. And um, I think that for every decade that has been since, it's been further and further removed from its initial intent to the point now where it just, it has to be analyzed. It has to be looked at and maybe even brought into question as to whether or not should e- it should even exist. I think it's a fair, it's a fair question. It's a, it's not chump change. $400 million is not chump change to a dairy farmer, specifically right now when they're going broke and they can barely pay their own bills and they see the salary levels of those who are running the programs. Um, it has it has really created um, <laughs> a lot of disdain, really, truly, across the country. If you read the uh, any, if you pick up any uh, publication that farmers um, have write into, you will see very quickly uh, the distaste in their mouth uh, to these programs. And um, you know, I think there's multiple reasons for it. I think potentially it's simply because it wasn't, uh, you know maybe not as transparent as what it should have been to the farmers on how those dollars were being used. Um, But then, you know, at the same time, um, just the fact that they're coming off and the fact that they're to be demanded to continue to come off and farmers having no say in the matter, that is when um, push comes to shove and farmers are just simply looking for something different. And this off act provides that opportunity to take a new fresh look at this, put a new set of eyes to it, and if it's worthy to stay, then it stays. And if it's not, then it goes. When is the election for the presidency of the National Farmers Union? So the election will be held in Savannah, Georgia, in on uh, Georgia, in yes, in Georgia on March the third. Right. Actually, it's on the second. Right. So um, yes, looking forward to uh, I'm campaigning at this point. I'm reaching out to state delegations, and uh, really have had many great conversations with with farmers all across uh, the country. And uh, yes, I seek to uh, represent them in that position in Washington, D.C., and uh, to work closely with with Marty on on some of these issues that are very near and dear to these farmers' hearts all across the country. But the neat thing with the checkoff is that it does unify us because we each have something uh, that we... uh, you know, we're we're all involved in this. It's just it's just not dairy. I mean, this is every commodity, um, pretty much across the the, the country, uh, besides corn. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think broilers are also involved in this. But outside of that, um, even Christmas trees and popcorn and you name it, it's included. So um, 
yes, it's it's a it's an opportunity to be able to work with multiple different state agencies, uh, chapters across the country, and I'm very much looking forward to the opportunity to potentially be the president of National Farmers Union. Well, I, I believe I'm speak for for everyone else on this podcast, and we wish you good luck with that campaign. And um, we we hope you'll come back after and let us know how things went and uh, what the lay of the land looks like at that juncture. Thank you so much for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. I've been your host, Joseph Grove. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org to find out about all of our legislative efforts, subscribe to our newsletters, and link up with our social media channels. Want to subscribe to this podcast? Go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and we'll be back real soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.